Welcome to Living Faith Lutheran Radio Program here on KBEC AM 1390. I am Pastor Scott Marks. Visit us online at living-faith.church or better yet in person. We worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Midlothian Conference Center, number one Community Circle Drive, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. Living Faith Lutheran is a new church in Midlothian, Texas, serving people in Midlothian and surrounding areas. And now be encouraged by today's message. Now is the time to take out the Living Faith notes if you are one who likes to take notes. As you're doing so, I want to welcome those who are listening via podcast or are listening or watching online at living-faith.church or are listening to KBEC uh, AM 1390 or FM 99.1. So we're going to cover chapter 1 of the book of Ruth. I'm not going to read it now. We're going to cover it in line in the message. So we live in interesting times and an increasingly fake world. Uh, Take the, the, the expression fake news, for instance. I mean, who would have thought fake news? It sounds like an oxymoron. Yet the term fake news was added to dictionary.com recently. And it's true, right? There is such thing as, as fake news. Uh, a friend of mine, he is called Facebook Fake Book. And he does that because he says, you know, you see the pictures of all your friends and they're always smiling and, and they're so happy. And, and on Facebook, everything is like a you know, perfect world. And some people see that and they conclude everyone else in the world is happy but me. And there's some fakeness uh, to that. Now, fakeness is very evident among Hollywood and the entertaining industry. Uh, But there are some celebrities who in the last few years have come out and just said, you know, uh, enough of the fakeness. You want to see what I'm really like? And these are especially like female actors or singers. Uh, For instance, uh, J-Lo. She said, hey, okay, this is what I look like without makeup. It's the real me. Or Katie Couric. I would not recognize Katie Couric if I saw her on the street on the left. Um, looks a lot different than which looks like with, with makeup on. Um, Beyonce, likewise, would not recognize her. Lady Gaga, probably would not recognize her either. Quite a bit of difference. We got to the final one. This is my favorite, Barbie. And there, believe it or not, there is a company that they, they take Barbie dolls, you, you ship the Barbie dolls to them, they'll remove all the makeup, all the fake eyelashes, and they depict Barbie how she would really look like. And if you look closely, there's even braces on Barbie. Now, the whole point of this is that this is one of the reasons I appreciate Scripture. Scripture is not fake. Scripture is real life, real people, real problems, but also a real savior. And we're going to see that time and time again as we continue to uh, go through the book of, of, of Ruth. Um, Ruth is a, a story, you might think it was about Ruth, and eventually it will be about Ruth. But as we begin chapter 1, we see that it really begins as a story between a man and his wife and their, and their two sons. But ultimately, the book of Ruth is a, is a, is a picture of Jesus and his relationship to us, his church. Now let's get into it. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. 
So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went there for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of, their, of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, it says that this was during the days of the judges. If you know anything about Old Testament history, the day of the judges was, those were difficult, dark days for Israel. We back up to Moses, and Moses successfully led the Israelites from Egypt to the Promised Land. Of course, the adults were rebellious, and they had to live out their lives in the wilderness and, and die in the wilderness for the 40-year period they wandered. But, but then Moses led the new generation of adults to the edge of the Promised Land. Moses dies, by the way, in Moab. And then Joshua takes over, and they enter the Promised Land, and it's, it's success after success after success. But God warned the Israelites. When you finally settle in the land and receive your inheritance and are getting bumper crops, do not forget the Lord your God. The times of the judges, that's exactly what was happening. They fell into what theologians call a cycle of sin. Now, now what is a, a sin cycle? And by the way, we fall into sin cycles all the time. Here's the cycle of sin. Blessings from God. He is our provider, as he always has been. We begin to forget where our blessings come from. Sin cycle begins with forgetfulness. We live our lives to ourselves. We don't acknowledge the source of our blessings. We stop calling upon the Lord. That leads to idolatry. And for the Israelites, some of them start worshiping false gods, false idols. But an idol can be anything. An idol can be a good thing. But if it's elevated to the ultimate thing, it's become an idol. idol uh, idolatry then leads to rebellion. And you see stiffened hearts. And the Israelites were called stiff-necked. You cannot do that very long without there being a consequence. Remember the Galatians reading, a person reaps what they sow. If you sow from your sin nature, you're going to reap in time from your sin nature. God is very patient with us. But if we forget him and live our lives, know God, eventually we reap what we sow. And God says, very well. If you don't want blessings from me, you will receive a curse from me. And that's right. Maybe we don't like that word curse, but it is biblical. Blessings are curses. And if we go in the sin cycle and we're rebellious, it comes without a cost. Now, what God did for the Israelites is that um, he, he stopped blessing them and then disaster would come. And when disaster came, it would be in a form of a natural disaster. In the case of, uh, of Ruth, it's a, a drought in the land. Or it might be uh, God was protecting Israel from an invading army for years. And God says, very well, then I won't protect you. And that army comes in. And the, the, the days of the judges, you see this repeated pattern. Um, then the people would repent, which is a good thing. They turned from their sins. And God listened to them. And then God rescues them. And God would, would raise up for them uh, judges who would lead the Israelites, and God would use them to once again bring them into blessing. So the book of Ruth was written at a time when disaster hit. They'd already, again, started the cycle of sin. Disaster hit, uh, drought, and verse 1 again. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, now, where is Moab? Moab is east of the Dead Sea. 
It's about 30 to 40 miles from the town of, of Bethlehem. And the, sea, the Dead Sea is the lowest place uh, on land. And once you get past the Dead Sea, you have to go up a very high um, ridge, and then there's a very flat plateau. Parts of Arizona, by the way, look like this. We go up and then it's flat, and it's fertile. The grass was greener in Moab. And, and so you have this man, Elimelech, he leaves his inheritance behind. He takes his wife and two sons, probably in their teens, and he travels 30 to 40 miles, and he settles in Moab. And that is a problem. God, the, the, the Moabites were under a curse of God as well. Moabites were related to Lot, and when the Israelites were entering the promised land, they hired a priest to, to place a curse on Israel. And God said, that's not going to work. In fact, you have a curse on you. And, and the Moabites, uh, again, were, were worshiping false gods. Part of their worship was the sacrifice of, of children. And yet Elimelech and his family decide to leave their inheritance for a while and go to Moab to make a living. And that's another irony. Elimelech goes there to make a living. He ends up dying very quickly. We're told, verse 3, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. By the way, the names, their names are important. Their names are literal. Elimelech means our God is king. It's a good name. Um, Naomi, Naomi means pleasant one. That's a beautiful name for a woman, pleasant one. Their two sons, Malon and Kilion, very literal. Malon means sickly or sick boy, and Kilion is very similar. It means weakling, waning one. So again, they, they, they take their two sons, sick boy and, and weak one, and Naomi, pleasant one, and they go to Moab, and Elimelech dies. So we have Naomi is now a widow. That became her new normal. Her, her boys reached the age, though, where they're able to get married, verses 4 and 5. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Talk about real tragedy. Can you imagine that? You go to a foreign land, especially as a woman, your husband dies, you are a widow, your two sons get married to Moabite women, and then your sons die? Can you imagine how low she must have felt? Her, her new, new normal was even worse than before. And, and, and you see this tragedy upon tragedy to this person named Naomi. Verses 6 and following. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So go back to that sin cycle. The, the Israelites had repented, right? And what is God doing? He's re rescuing them and no longer a drought, and God's once again blessing them. So Naomi hears this, that Bethlehem, which means house of bread, it was a bread basket and still is today, 
of the land of Israel. And she, she decides to go back on that road that she had traveled 10 years prior, obviously without her husband and without her sons, decides to go back to, to Bethlehem. Verses 8 and following. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husband, husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She wishes them well. May God bless them. May God provide for them new husbands. I'm going back where I came from, my home. And you two should just stay here. You're, you're widows as well, but make the most of it and marry other men. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. That says something about Naomi's character. She was a good mom, I believe. She was a good wife, I believe. She was a good mother-in-law. That can sometimes be hard to find, but she had that characteristic. Her, her daughters-in-law didn't want to leave her. They wanted to stay with her. Verse 11 and following, But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I am going to have, am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Now, there's a lot of Jewish law involved here. You're, you're married to a Jewish man, which they were. They had property in Israel. There's an inheritance there. And the way it worked in the Jewish world is that if you were married to a Jewish man and he dies, if he had available brothers, that brother could marry you and then keep the inheritance you had with your, with your husband. So Naomi's like, okay, if I even got remarried, you're going to wait that long, remain unmarried, if I had more sons? He said, that's totally unrealistic. That's not going to happen. You stay here in Moab. I am going back to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem. Verse 14, at this they wept aloud again. It's very emotional. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So Ruth and Orpah, the two daughters-in-law. Um, this is not recorded in scripture, but Orpah eventually moved to Los Angeles and she, be, she started a TV show. No. <laughs> Fake news. By the way, if you Google Oprah Winfrey, um, that was not her birth name. You know what it was? Orpah. Trivial fact. But anyway, um, we have, we have uh, Oprah that, that stays behind. Um, verse 15, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Now, Naomi's not being very wise here. Go back to false gods. That's not good advice at all. And Ruth knew better. Verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. 
May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. These are some of the most beautiful words spoken in Scripture. Spoken by a Moabite woman who obviously had come to believe in the one true Lord, Yahweh, the, the, the God of creation. And, and she had faith in the one true God. And, and she shows commitment, which is so lacking in our world today. She has steadfast commitment. Don't urge me to leave you. I'm in it for the long haul. She has humble commitment. Um, Naomi, where you go, I'll follow. I'll gladly follow you back to Bethlehem. She has unashamed commitment. Your people will be my people. Again, that would be difficult coming from a different culture and going back to Israel and saying that your people are my people. And she has a spiritual commitment. Your God will be my God. Naomi's God was already her God. It's so evident that she has saving faith. And she has complete commitment. Where you die, I will die. In a way, Ruth is a type of Christ. There's no greater commitment than Jesus Christ. Fully committed, fully committed to saving us, fully committed to God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. We have to commend Ruth again for her strong God-given faith. By the way, Jesus calls us to commitment as well. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Commitment to the end in your Christian faith and following Christ your Lord. Back to our text, verse 18. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? You can just picture it, can't you? Small town Bethlehem, small town feel, and, and there's, there's two women coming from a distance. One's older than the other. One is not an Israelite, and one, one's a Moabite. And they get closer, and they, and they start looking, and the older woman looks familiar. Could that be Naomi? Could it really be? You know, uh, 10 years is somewhat of a long time if you haven't seen somebody. A few years ago, I went to a pastor's conference, and I heard a voice behind me, and I'm like, boy, that sounds familiar. And, and I turned around, and I looked at the person sitting there, I'm like, could this be Steve Wilkins? Uh, now, my ministry began 25 years ago in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And Steve Wilkins was the closest pastor. He was across the Rio Grande River in a place called Rio Rancho. And sure enough, it was Steve Wilkins. I'm like, I cannot believe I have not seen you in over 10 years. And truth be told, he had aged quite a bit. Could it be? And it was. And truth be told, I had aged quite a bit as well. But think of Naomi. My guess is that the death of her husband took its toll on her and her looks. My guess is that the death of her two sons, I cannot imagine that, would have taken its toll on Naomi. So could it be the women saying, could this be Naomi? Verse 20, don't call me Naomi. What does Naomi mean again? Pleasant one. Don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, why would she say, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara? You know what Mara means? Mara means bitter. 
Don't call me pleasant one. I'm no longer pleasant one. I'm the bitter one now. And who is she blaming? She's blaming God for her bitterness. By the way, she's still a believer, right? But we see her sinfulness, bitterness, and we see another sin. She's blaming God for her bitterness. And that's something that, that we're prone to do as well when things go wrong. Start blaming God for things and God for, uh, for bitterness. And, and we see that. And if you really analyze it, her bitterness had nothing to do with God. Bitterness is always sin-related. God is never sinful. Um, bitterness is sinful, uh, uh, sin-related to somebody else's sin, or I've done something. Keep in mind, her husband Elimelech left his, his inheritance to go to a country he wasn't supposed to go to, yet she blames God, again, for her bitterness. Now, I believe her. She had become a bitter woman. She had become a bitter believer. And I believe her as well. She said, when I left, I was full, but I come back empty. By the way, 10 years prior when she left, was she rich? No. They're leaving their inheritance to eke out a living in a foreign country. But why, why would she say she was full? Naomi, her character was, she, she looked at who she was as a person based on her relationships. She was a full person because she had her husband and she had her two sons. And that's commendable. Her sons are gone. Her husband is gone. They have died. In a sense, they've been taken away. So now she believes that she is empty. And based on that, she is very bitter. And her bitterness was a sin, as his bitterness is a sin for us as well. Verse 22, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. You see um, probably wheat in the background, but barley harvest. This is going to tie in next week in chapter 2. Now, I want to apply our text a little bit more. We have a bitter believer. And she wasn't understanding at that time that God wasn't finished with her. There's a connection to Jesus Christ with the person of Naomi. If you follow the story, Naomi is the mother-in-law of Ruth. And guess who Ruth is? She is the grandmother of King David. That means that Naomi is the great-great-grandmother of King David. And as you follow the, the King David, Jesus is a descendant of King David. The line of the Savior going through Ruth, who again, her mother-in-law, is Naomi. She didn't know this at the time, but God knew it. And God would work out her bitterness and would change her bitterness into joy. My friends, we all have problems. We all have flaws, myself included. All sin-based. Jesus is the only flawless one. He is the only perfect one. And, and yet he works with us. He worked with Naomi and he will work with you as well. Now, I want to apply it in this way. Ten years. Ten years is how long it took for Naomi to go from a pleasant person to a bitter person. So my question to you is this. Are you bitter or better than ten years ago? Are you bitter or better than ten years ago? It's easy math. Subtract ten years from your life. I'm 53, so I did this this week. When I was 43... Was I better off then or was I bit more bitter then or worse off then? 
You can apply it to yourself. Are you bitter or better from 10 years ago? Well, I'm going to answer for myself. 10 years ago, at age 43, I was going through a very difficult time in ministry. I remember being at my church at that time, and I just needed concentrated prayer time with the Lord. I went to the utility room because it was dark in there, and, and I would close the door, and there was a five-gallon bucket. I sat on the bucket, adjusting because it's all dark in there, and praying to the Lord. And I remember praying, Lord, you know, you know all things. Where will I be five years from now? Well, circumstances have changed five years from now. Where will I be 10 years from now? God, you know. Now, as it turned out, God knew I would be in Midlothian, Texas, 10 years, right, right here. And I will say for me that I am better off now than I was 10 years ago during that difficult time. If you are better off than you were 10 years ago, praise God. Thank God for getting you through a difficult time. But what if you're more bitter? Naomi was more bitter. What can we learn from the story of Naomi? A few things here. First of all, God still loves you. God has an infinite love for you. His love for you has not changed, even though your circumstances have changed and you've become a bitter person. God loves you with an everlasting love. As far as the east is from the west so far, he has removed your sins from you. He loves you dearly. In his love, he sent Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins. Know that God still loves you. He's in crazy in love with you. Secondly, know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the first fruits among many brothers and sisters. God's conforming in your likeness of Jesus, and he uses all things to do this. In all things, God works for bad. In all things, God works for good. All includes the things that you perceive as bitter. God says, I'm working it in the end for good. You can trust that. Thirdly, there is no unredeemable situation. There is no unredeemable situation. Sometimes our bitterness is because of our own fault, our sins. I got myself in a bad situation. You know what? God can get you out of it. And God's grace reaches down like water dripping and, and, and flowing to the lowest crevice. God's grace reaches you. What Jesus has already done to save you, sending Jesus to die for your sins on the cross, that's sufficient for you. And again, there is no unredeemable situation. And finally, God has the ability to turn our grief into joy. God has the ability to turn our grief into joy. It happens with Naomi. The book of Ruth, Naomi is changed. You see her transformed, and she will once again become a pleasant person. We, we see this as well. Jesus told his followers, you're going to grieve as the rest, rest of the world rejoices, but your grief will be turned to joy. And it was on the third day as Jesus rose from the dead. And ultimately in heaven, right, God turns all of our grief as his children into joy. But that can happen to you right now. And again, we can know this. And Naomi is a, is a great example of this. To God be the glory. And let's continue to trust in him. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message. 
Check us out online at living-faith.church or better yet in person. We worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the Midlothian Conference Center, number one Community Circle Drive, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, right off the Highway 287, across the street from the Courtyard Marriott. We worship upstairs in one of the conference rooms. Now we are convinced that Jesus died for all, that we might live forever. That's the gospel. The gospel has changed our lives. It can change your life as well. Have a great day.